I was terrified that if I didn't keep being and doing and achieving, I wouldn't be successful. And then what would I be? I'm JJ DiGeronimo, and I select each episode with you in mind, a working woman that wants to have more influence and impact than they have today. With insight and research, you can gain momentum, knowledge, and even tools to help you leap in the direction you desire. With each episode, you can visit the show notes where I include additional links, worksheets, and questions for podcast clubs. Let's get started. Hello, this is JJ DiGeronimo, and I am so excited today to have a guest with me. I have Karen Manja. Karen is a veteran in the tech field, but also a TEDx speaker and an author three times. So I'm super excited to talk to her about her professional and personal journey, because we all know it's awesome to list all these accolades and achievements, but there's a story under the story, and that's really what I hope we talk about today, Karen. So welcome and tell us a little bit about what you're working on now. Well, thanks for the opportunity. And, uh, you know, when I think about the arc of my career, there have been a couple of true North stars. And one is staying close to customers, you know, in sales, sales leadership, voice of the customer, and now in my role as a thought leader, and then also storytelling. And I was thinking about this the other day, really, my love of hearing stories and writing stories and reading stories goes back to my childhood. And I was reminded of a time when my grandparents would take their six grandchildren for a week every summer without our parents. Well, I would spend the entire week writing a play and casting and directing my cousins, you know, to put on for the parents. And I think about you know, just the power of storytelling and how much we take away, not just from, you know, the stories that are formally written and produced, but when we have an opportunity to your point, to hear the story behind the story. And I've certainly got a lot of richness behind mine for sure. Well, that's so fantastic. And, you know, it's not easy to have a day job and meet all the customer demands because many of us know we do the work after the work hours. All those to-dos we collect in meetings and also customer calls. But then to have time to write three books, like how do you do that? What inspires you to do that? Divest before you invest. That's kind of my guiding principle. And I learned it the hard way. And I have people ask me frequently, oh, how do you do it all? And I I want to give you this secret right now. I don't. I don't. And so the secret behind, you know, not doing it all is being clear in any given moment about what success means to you and and what your top priority is. And what I've discovered over time is our relationship with success is really one of our most challenging relationships. You know, we have all these myths and misconceptions that we hold about success. You know, it will make us happy. You know, it's a it's a title, it's a promotion, it's an accomplishment. It's, you know, it's somewhere out in the future. It's reserved for someone else. You needed to go to a certain school, have a certain boss, whatever that is. And the way that I learned some of my hardest lessons and really examined that relationship with what matters was from a major medical crisis. Mm. And it might surprise you and, and your viewers and listeners looking at me now to find out that in my early 30s, my hair fell out, my skin turned gray, 
I was suffering from perpetual fatigue. I gained 55 pounds without having a baby. And one day I looked in the mirror and my eyes had literally changed color. So when I say, and we use this expression from time to time, right? Like I looked in the mirror and I didn't even recognize the person looking back. I literally did not recognize the person looking back at me. And you know what? I never missed a day of work for being ill. And that sounds crazy, right? If this were one of my friends or one of your friends, we'd be like, you need to take time for yourself. And you know what? I was terrified that if I didn't keep being and doing and achieving, I wouldn't be successful. And then what would I be? I mean, I used the only formula I had ever known for success that I think a lot of us default to, which is, you know, do more to have more to be more. And that will sum up to success. And I think especially for us as women, on top of that, try to make it look easy, pleasing and agreeable, right? And when I hit the point that I was so ill that I literally could not sustain my own formula for success, I mean, I felt terrified and hopeless and so uncertain. And in that time, what's so remarkable to me, you know, we get all these these signs from the inside voice in the universe, maybe telling us things we don't always want to hear. But when I heard my doctor say to me after three and a half years of medical misdiagnosis, you have DDT pesticide poisoning. And I thought to myself, isn't this ironic? I mean, I have this poison that is literally going through my body that is causing disruption. And what has fueled this get well journey taking so long is a set of toxic beliefs that I am carrying about what success looks like, you know, about what accomplishment and achievement look like and what I was willing to do or to believe in order to reach this mythical level of success. And that really became a turning point in my story. And the reason I like to talk about this is I think it's so easy to look at somebody's LinkedIn profile or you hear their bio and you think, oh, if I just do what they do, I'll have what they have. It must've been easy. And you know, the LinkedIn story of my life looked amazing at that point, but I was not well enough to enjoy my life. And I thought, that's not success, right? Putting one more thing on my LinkedIn profile uh, that might help me get a different job didn't feel like success to me at that point in time. What felt like success was being healthy enough to enjoy my life. And, you know, when I look around at what's happening all around us right now, I see people looking for their own get well plan to have work and life and not have to choose one at the cost of the other. That's amazing. And I'm seeing some of the same stories. So I really want to dive into this because I I'm writing my third book. And a lot of it is about stretching for these external metrics for internal validation. And it sounds very similar to what you're talking about. Although your circumstances were pretty extreme. I mean, your body was like, listen, listen, listen. And you're like, no, no, no. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got to a place that you could understand how to heal yourself? Because I feel like a lot of women are in that place right now and they're not sure where to start. Well, I was talking earlier about divest before you invest. And when I realized that my top priority was to get as well as I could, it became the easiest filter for what I said yes or no to. Because for the first time in my life, I had a real clarity and a commitment to what mattered to me. And so, you know, when someone would ask me to join the not-for-profit board, which inevitably I would love to say yes to, and the good Midwesterner in me feels like I should say yes to that, I would pause and ask myself, will saying yes to this commitment move me closer to or further from my definition of success? And that's why I think that principle 
divest before you invest is so powerful. So when I'm in a motion that I'm writing a book or doing a major customer deliverable, I take something off my calendar or pause it to make room. When I think about the most powerful, easy, least time-consuming shift we can all make, it's being thoughtful about the words we choose because they do affect our mindset. And I, I discovered a few words that I needed to take out were like never. You know, I would say to myself, I'm never going to be healthy or I'm never going to have work-life balance. I put a limit on myself. So I just, I kind of purged that word, should. That was always an indication to me that like, I'm about to say yes to something that in the core of myself, I know I don't want to do, it's out of alignment with my values, but there's some other usually pleasing function that's compelling me to do that. So should for me is now, you know, I pump the brakes when I hear myself use that word and go, well, why do I feel like I should do that? (laughs) And then the other one is, you know, I really think about the difference between and and or right? So what happens when we get the scope proof in our life is we're saying, yes, it's, and I will bring the snacks to the class and I will serve on the board and I will take the lead on the presentation and I will write a book and I will learn another language and I will go to the gym. And I started thinking like, or like I could write a book or I could make Pinterest worthy dinners for 30 days in a row. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to choose the book if I'm only choosing one and just the simple inflection points of a consciousness of those words that either put us in the box of limit, you know, limits or limitless make a big difference. And, you know, when I'm thinking about priorities and what matters, I try to play it forward by asking one simple question that anyone can ask, which is to what end? I mean, you're writing a book. I've written a book. Well, to what end? Well, in my case, I see a lot of people struggling with changing their relationship with work. So my to what end of success from anywhere is to be of service. And that's why there's a playbook in it. So people have tools and games and conversation starters to access their own success. To what end, I think becomes a great filter to say, well, what really comes of this, right? On the other side of this activity is the outcome that I realize worth the effort I've invested or what I had to give up to make that gain. And many of those are not easy shifts. I mean, unless you're with a coach or unless you're working with somebody, it's hard to really understand your own hurdles or the parameters you're putting around your life, like the nevers and the ands and really the expectations that drive so many people into exhaustion. Yes. And, you know, when I think about another question that helps me to unlock what's possible, I start to think about really this sort of filtering down of these three questions and kind of a bonus question. You know, when you start to look at your calendar and it feels too full, you look at your to-do list, it feels too full. And then it's like, how do I unwind these commitments? Or to your point, you get in execution mode rather than in this sort of strategic, thoughtful, you know, prioritization mode. So I like to ask these three questions and a bonus question that I find help. Does it have to be? Does it have to be me? Does it have to be me right now? Bonus question, does it have to be a meeting? And what I've discovered is that helps me reclaim some time in a thoughtful way. And really what that distills out is, how could I make this easier? Whether that's tonight's dinner, tomorrow's school drop-off, next week's presentation, it helps me do that divest before I invest. It helps me think in terms of, how could I even find five minutes? How can I even find 10 minutes? And then you start to build some momentum around that thought. And it takes confidence. I mean, 
It's not easy to do this when you don't believe that you're valuable enough to create these additional thought patterns or even new thought patterns. So, you know, you're sick, you don't feel well, you're trying to adjust the way you show up. Did you have to do some mind adjusting? Because many of us, our self-talk is really what often fuels some of these ailments and situations. One of the most insightful books I've read recently that has a helpful tool that comes with it is called Positive Intelligence. And the idea behind Positive Intelligence are is really twofold. One is that we all have these inner saboteurs, sort of what you said, these voices that talk to us, that tell us things that aren't entirely true, may not serve us, you know, and trap us into a way of thinking that may not be entirely healthy. We, by contrast, also all have an inner sage. And our inner sage is what helps us create choices, be curious, you know, find calm. And what I love about this positive intelligence book is there is a free five-minute assessment, maybe takes less than five minutes, about your top saboteur. So it takes, there's like 10 predictable ones, and they could range from hyper-rational, the victim, the pleaser, the controller, whatever that looks like. And you answer a few questions and it returns back to you, your top one. And when you read it, you'll go, yep, this is me. That's the inside voice that talks to me. What's beautiful though, is once you take the assessment, the person who wrote the book starts to send you at a totally infrequent and random cadence, these little inspiring messages of how to recognize that saboteur that talks to you and how instead to, to tune into your stage more frequently. And they have an app where they have something called the PQ gym, the positive intelligence gym. And it's like 10 second activities you can do to quickly kind of calm yourself down. You know, one is rubbing, you know, a finger against your thumb for literally 10 seconds. You could do this between meetings. What I like about that is it helps you understand that everybody has some kind of outside force, right? Something that has happened a way that you've coped in the past that probably doesn't serve you now. And this gives you a tool to recognize it and some strategies to say, well, right now I could listen to the voice that limits me or helps me tap into limitless possibilities. That methodology really resonated with me because it's doable. I mean, 10 seconds, you could do that when one video meeting is hanging up and the next one is starting. And what I appreciate about his approach is he's like, those sabotage voices will always be there. What you're trying to do is get better at recognizing, oh, there you are. I see you there. You're showing up. This doesn't serve me right now. I'm going to choose differently. So it's sort of being conscious of, you know, are you tapping into your saboteur or your sage? And I thought, well, that's very relatable. We can all relate to that, right? That's beautiful. And I love that. And I think some of the work that I'm doing with women right now is recognizing sort of what knowing are we checking at the door? Because in my opinion, and I'll just say out loud, this is my opinion. So no one else on the call or anyone listening is that corporate America is very masculine energy. A lot of masculine energy runs that. And when women show up, especially in STEM roles, you know, we often have to check our knowing at the door. I've had to learn how to sort of maneuver my knowing and also kind of what fuels my tank, which often doesn't always come from my job, even though I get a lot of accolades and excitement about it. It doesn't necessarily fuel my tank at the levels that I need as a woman. And so I think Getting that insight of kind of how do you sabotage yourself, but also going a step further of how do you fuel yourself? And so how do you fuel yourself when you're giving and doing and achieving? What really does it take for you to fill up? Well, a couple of things I've discovered that make a big difference. First of all, how I start my day. 
And I made some changes to that. I used to be someone who would get up and, you know, check email and start in on the activity of the day, which I discovered over time that I was starting every single day with chaos, essentially. And now I start my day with calm. So I get up first thing in the morning, meditation, mindfulness, movement, some gratitude journaling, get ready. And then I do my deep creation tasks next. So from a place of calm, I work on my high value deliverables. And then save the chaotic, buzzy, you know, email, read the, you know, instant message for the end of the day. What I've discovered is it sends a signal to me each day, like I matter. I'm the first thing on my list, but I can create much more value and contribute more from a place of calm. You know, that creation activity is much stronger. So think about, you know, your routines, rituals, and boundaries. You know, I would say first and foremost in that space. The second for me, refueling. I love to cook with a last name like manja that means eat, of course. But there is something very zen for me about just quietly being in my kitchen and hearing the knife chopping. It always have to be something elaborate. There's something about that physical motion and that quiet that helps me unwind and re-energize. And then I'm also very fortunate. My grandfather is not only living at 98, he is living well. He just bought a new iPad two weeks ago. Uh, he loves a vibrant debate. He invests. He's basically a day trader. He day trades stocks. And so I make Sunday dinner for him every Sunday and visit. And that is a sacred appointment on my calendar where I'm fully present. And it's just so grounding and re-energizing about what matters. Um, And then I love to just take a walk, you know, even a five minute walk, something outside fresh air, all of those things certainly refresh and re-energize me. Well, I'm certain, Karen, if you can do it, we can all do it. We can all do it. And for those of you still listening in, the one something that I really can't wait to get into is some of the alternative work you've done. I mean, many of us go to doctors, you know, some of us have had ailments, some of us are recovering, some of us are in treatment, but I really do love your story in the sense that you really explored alternative ways to heal yourself. And so I'd love to hear a little bit more about that for women that may be looking for other ways to get involved. I think about doing one thing at a time and doing one thing well. I mean, I did not get as ill as I was overnight and I didn't get instantly well and on this path to meditation and being conscious of who and what I expose myself to and how I show up in the world overnight. The first thing that I would offer is do the doable. I mean, I think about what's the five minute fix. I mean, if your goal is a health change or a relationship change or a job change, What is five minutes a day that you could do around that? I think about it as what's working, what's not working, and what's the smallest thing I could give myself permission to adjust, right? We don't always have to do the grand gesture, right? You don't need a three-month sabbatical. Maybe you need a five-minute walk every day. So, you know, do the doable. But in my case, when I really reflected on being so ill, it was easy to look toward environmental toxins. I mean, I had an environmental toxin, right? I had many well-intended doctors who misdiagnosed me. So for me, it was really a process of discovery that as I look back at it now, a lot of the disruption that I was feeling and not pausing to take care of myself came from being very disconnected and mistrusting of my own voice. And when I think about that point in time, you know, I was in a work context very much like what you were describing, a very strong male-dominated Brotopia tech environment. And I didn't feel particularly heard or seen in that role, even though I was succeeding, you know, by the by the numbers and so forth. I had some personal circumstances going on where I didn't speak up and advocate for myself. And when I think about 
really that sustained disruption and what that pause now helps me to do. It's really about my healing journey has been more about hear my voice, find my voice, use my voice. And I think as women, sometimes we maybe hear our voice and we stop short of using it to advocate for ourselves. And that sustained activity of blending rather than belonging catches up with you eventually. Because I think in that blending motion, what happens is we learn how to be masterfully adaptable. You know, we look around at the circumstance we're in, we figure out how to adapt our style to get something done or show up. And blending is very different than belonging. And so what I've discovered over time is it's not that I always have to be the one talking or whatever, but it's that I need to speak for myself, whether that's in a meeting, whether that's with a doctor that tells me I'm doing fine. And I am like, no, I know I don't feel well. It's giving yourself permission to hear your own voice and then find your voice in your style in an authentic way, and then have the courage to use that voice to show up in the world as you. And I think that's some of the hardest and most healing work that I've done. That's a beautiful thing. And I think for many of us creating space that we can just step into that. One of the reasons I created the community was to give women easy access to other women that are helping them sort of uncover the stories, uncover the fear, work through things that they've carried with them, as you mentioned earlier on. And so was that a process you had to go through too, is working with other people to sort of dig through the stories? Yeah. And I think about a formative experience with my first true executive coach. And I was on the path to trying to get promoted. And you do the 360 review where you get all this feedback from the coworkers and your you know, senior leaders and the people who work for you. And so I'm picturing, okay, I'm going to do this readout with her. There will inevitably be a few behaviors we're going to focus on. I will message these to my team and my boss. I will adjust them. I will make progress. We will check the box. I will get my promotion on. We will go. I could not have been more surprised when I sat down in her backyard and she's doing this readout for me of, you know, so these themes and whatever else. And I look her in the eye. I can see this scene to this day as if I just walked out. (laughs) She is wearing a crisp white shirt. She has dark hair that is pulled up. She's got a pool in her backyard. She's wearing glasses, you know, with the dark, you know, sides to them and no frames. And I say to her out loud, I mean, let's be honest. The real reason I'm not getting promoted is because I'm female working in this Brotopia tech scenario. She leans forward, slams her hand on the desk and says, that's not the reason. The reason is because you have some self-limiting behaviors that you are bringing to work. And our goal is to understand the root of where are those things in your life? So you start showing up as a more authentic leader who's not bringing your limits to work. And I was shocked. I mean, I'm thinking I'm going to find this kindred spirit in this woman. She was like, no. And as I started to peel back the layers of, you know, some of those behaviors of feeling like you need to show up with all the answers or be this, you know, easy, pleasing and agreeable. And you start to dive into the root of that. You know, it occurred to me, I had spent all these years buying into this belief that the reason I had some limits in my career was because I was a younger female in tech. And the reality was I started to live those labels as if those were true. Now, here's the reality. I had gotten many promotions. I had very big teams. No matter what blending activity I bought into, whether that's what I wore or how I spoke, everyone around me was very clear about my gender and my age, right? The only person at that point who felt like I did not belong there was me. 
And I thought about what happens when we assign these labels to ourselves and then we turn those labels into these limitations and we live them. And for me, that work of getting real was that is a self-assigned label. That's how you see yourself. I mean, it may be factually true, but you're living a connotation of that that may not serve you. And so unwinding those limiting beliefs, you know, Adam Grant would tell you in his Think Again book, right, about revisiting your beliefs, that is hard work because those beliefs that we've held, you know, in some way we believe have made us safe or successful or they've gotten us to where we are. And sometimes we don't know who we're going to be without those beliefs, right? If we reconsider that or let go of that label, well, that feels different. So yes, I've definitely had uh, some wonderful coaches and catalysts through the years who have helped me, you know, see myself and my choices and my beliefs in a different way. And, you know, I think some of the work that we all do or try to do or want to do is, you know, releasing what no longer serves us to make room for what does, even if that's beliefs, limits, labels. This is fantastic, Karen. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. I would love to know why you wrote a third book. Because many people say, oh, you wrote one book, then you wrote two. Why did you write the third? What was burning inside you that you felt like you needed to get out there? Well, it was two things. People were asking me the question, now what? Because when I wrote the Working From Home book, we were all kind of to some varying degrees, holding this belief that we were either going to work from home or go back to what our life was like in January of 2020. And when it became evident, neither of those were going to transpire. People were like, now what? What do we do? The other aspect of the book that, you know, and I wanted to address that question and provide people some tools to really have thoughtful conversations about what might be possible. But the other thing that really showed up for me in a powerful way is how many people are stepping away from organizations that they've been with for some time or are starting businesses. And I started to get curious about what was behind this. And what I realized is when I was saying, you know, I held on to that belief that success was about more, I was finding that was somewhat universally true in the sense that we easily buy into the belief that success is more products, more profits, more activities, more accomplishments. And suddenly one day, it seems like employers started offering employees more pay, more PTO, more perks, right? To try to get them to stay or to combat burnout. And lots of employees in mass were walking away and saying, no, thanks. And I was like, if it isn't more pay, more PTO, more perks, all of which would have worked in the past, what is it? And what I discovered is people are looking for more of what matters. And I thought, wow, if we're all looking for more of what matters at the same time, what might be possible and how could I offer some help and hope? So you'll read in the book some things about you know, moving from progressive tolerance, thinking about what we've tolerated that no longer serves us into progressive consciousness, a place, you know, where choice is always on and always available. And we have active awareness, you know, of what's happening around us, along with, you know, ways to revisit some myths and misconceptions we might be holding about work in the workforce and the workplace. I view this as an opportunity that we can all live well and work well and be in a more equitable world. And I wanted to contribute to that in a meaningful way. Well, I definitely think you have. And for those of you that want to find Karen Manja, you can find her new book, Success From Anywhere, just about anywhere. I checked it out before. <laughs> so, and I'm really glad you joined us. I think giving us perspective of how you bounce back from where you've been and really helping people for where they want to go is such a gift, not only to us, but everyone who's listening. So thank you so much for joining. My pleasure. And I've discovered that the only response or maybe the best response to a setback is a comeback and a comeback is available to everybody, no matter what your starting point is. 
And that's a beautiful way to end. Thank you so much, Karen. Thank you. 